you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At daybreak, on the first day of the week, the women who had come from Galilee with Jesus took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but they entered. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And now, and while they were puzzling over this, behold, two men in dazzling garments appeared to them. They were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. But he has been raised. Remember what he said to you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and announced all these things to the eleven and to all the others. The women were Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James. The others who accompanied them also told this to the apostles. But their story seemed like nonsense, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, bent down, and saw the burial cloths alone. And then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Of course, the Easter proclamation we just sang was a way of saying Happy Easter, but I have to say Happy Easter. When we consider the readings today, uh, it's funny that it says in the Roman Missal, a homily, even if not brief, even if brief, should not be omitted. Okay. So I'll be talking with you about 45 minutes. <laughs> no, I, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't want to hasten it in my case. People will kill me if I preach for too long. I just want to share with you um, one thought from each of the readings today, and maybe I'll stop a little more in the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, because it describes so much all the wonderful things that we're celebrating on this Easter vigil. And we're also celebrating that this is a time where throughout the church, people are coming into the church through baptism, they're completing their Christian initiation through confirmation, through receiving the Eucharist. Those who are from other Christian denominations are coming into full communion with the Catholic Church, which means same faith, same sacraments, same pastoral governance under the Holy Father and Bishop Luis Raphael. But it's also a celebration of the victory of Christ over sin and death. And what the readings remind us of today, that it is not just a victory for him, it is a victory for all of us. It is that victory over sin and death that means that a victory has been achieved over our sin and death. When we look at the book of Genesis, this beautiful account of creation, and we see 
on the sixth day, when God looks at everything that he's created, and this creation account makes a point of being very systematic and showing all the things that other religions try to turn into gods. But he looks at this, shows this, he gazes upon this beautiful, abundant creation that is just ready to provide for man and for the animals, and he sees that it is all very good. And we know what happened with a little forbidden fruit not too long after that. So then we come to the second reading, and we see Abraham, who has received this promise from the Lord. He says, go out to, he was a nomadic wanderer, he said, go out to a land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, I will give you an heir. At that point he was already old, he had not had any children. And here we see Isaac, who is the fulfillment of that promise. And the Lord says, sacrifice him as a holocaust up on Mount Moriah. Now, the uh, movie Abraham, where Richard Harris was depicting Abraham, they kind of, they, they interpreted this as Abraham was getting too attached to Isaac. And that's why the Lord asked that test of him. Because he was neglecting his duties as the patriarch of his people at that point. But it is true that Isaac was the most precious thing he had in that moment. And when the Lord tested his heart, he had that faith. And it always strikes me the words that when Isaac asked him, where's the sacrifice, Dad? Right? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. (laughs) And Abraham, okay, you could kind of interpret what he says in response is, okay, he's trying to duck the issue because he doesn't want to admit, look, Isaac, it's you. I'm sorry. So he's going up the mountain, and he says, in response, the Lord himself, God himself will provide the sheep for the Holocaust. You know, and it struck me, I meditate on this passage over and over again, that he was really making an act of faith in that moment. He said, yeah, there should be a sacrifice. And in that act of faith, there was also a hope built in there that the Lord would provide the sacrifice. And in the end, the Lord did provide the sacrifice. He did not have to... Sacrifice his son Isaac. He had that faith and trust in the Lord, even when something as morally unthinkable as sacrificing your own son as a Holocaust, which was not unheard of in the ancient world, was the, what the Lord asked him to do. And in that way, he said, the Lord, it's his way of saying, I put the Lord first in my life. Even when it comes to Isaac, the fulfillment of my promise that he gave to me after so many vicissitudes, all so many crazy things. But we also know in the light of Christ that then in the end, the father did not spare his own son for the sake of all of us. So we see that goes something that goes much beyond this. We see Abraham, the father of faith, and he talks about the fact in the end, the Lord tells him, and in your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. So he says that the blessings he extended to Abraham would be meant not just for the people of Israel, not just for the blood descendants of Abraham, but for the whole world. And that's one of the things that we're celebrating tonight. That blessing came to fruition because God did not spare his own son so that we might be blessed after we mess things up, starting with our first parents. Then a reading from the book of Exodus. And this is all full of symbolism. We talk about Old Testament passages giving those prefigurations of things to come in Christ. And here we see a prefiguration of baptism. Egypt represents sin. It represents slavery. 
Sin seems so appealing to us because it preys on our fallen nature. Because sin is using good things in a bad way. And that's how it enslaves us. So it is so poignant that when we contemplate sin in the light of the Old Testament, we see the people of Egypt as enslaving the people of Israel. And then in that 40 years in the desert, when they're just setting out right now, we talked about it a few times during, during Lent, they start complaining and complaining, and you see how chained up they are in sin. It's not that they've been chained in a certain sense. You know, the Lord freed them from certain chains at first, and you put other chains on them. They put chains on themselves. So here we see them crying out. They thought they were going to die because fear of sin and fear and death always go hand in hand. And Moses parts the waters. And the Egyptians go for it. And that's why in the waters, sin is destroyed. Totally. They pass through the waters from certain death, from certain slavery into life. And that's why this is such a poignant passage that it even says, if you're going to cut down on the readings, don't cut out this one. Because it reminds us of the waters of baptism. Many of the church fathers have talked about that, how it symbolizes that. And we'll see that again when we come back to St. Paul. So then when we come lastly from the, in the Old Testament readings to the book of the prophet Isaiah... The Lord extends that invitation to abundance again. He says, all you who are thirsty, come to the water, right? You who have no money, right? It's almost like no strings attached. But this is a reminder that in our hearts, he created us with a thirst for God. Nothing else will satisfy that thirst for God. We are a creature at the top of material creation, and our purpose is to love and serve God, which is beyond creation. Everything else, it's, okay, the the cat needs to eat his cat food. He needs a nice place to sleep. Okay, the cows, they moo. They hope nobody comes up and tips them over when they're sleeping. Various things like that. We're at the top of the order of creation because we are oriented toward God, and it's reflected in us. As the first reading said, we're created in his image and likeness. And we try to reflect that, and Christ comes back to show us how that should be. So Isaiah talks about this abundance. He says, come to the water, that thirst for God. He offers to satisfy all of our longings. I think it's uh, Ralph Martin who wrote a book, a very beautiful spiritual book, and the title is The Fulfillment of All Desire. God is the fulfillment of all our desires. And when our desires are off, he helps us realize what our real desires should be. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because he reveals himself to us. After Adam and Eve fell, they didn't see God anymore. But, and God could have just left us to our devices, you know. Adam and Eve blew it. They had something they were supposed to hand on to their descendants, and it would have been game over. But he decided to reveal himself to us. He prepared the people He built on the faith of Abraham. He built the people of Israel that we saw in Moses. He wanted from all eternity to convoke believers in his son. And so he still reveals and he still invites. And everyone here received an invitation from our Lord to come to the waters of baptism, to come and feed on the bread of life. 
to come and receive that strengthening of the Holy Spirit and confirmation. And when we blow it, to come to reconciliation, Christ reveals himself and reaches out and touches us in each one of those sacraments, which is why we, it's so poignant that we celebrate this tonight. And that brings us to the epistle of St. Paul, when he reminds us, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Right? The person who gets baptized is plunged into the waters. That's why their head goes under or their head has to have some water on it. Because it symbolizes them going, plunging into the depths of death. And what comes out of those depths is a new creature. That's what we celebrate today. Not just the new life of Christ. The new life that he has won for all of us. And it's not simply... A reanimation, like you can see Lazarus, okay, Lazarus was in the tomb a few days, and then he went back and he lived his normal life. It's something way beyond that. It transforms us. It's something that in eternity will flourish into eternal life, but it's sown in our hearts right now through baptism. And through that process of death, death to sin, we are raised up into that new life. And when Paul encourages us to think of ourselves as being dead to sin and living for God in Christ Jesus, there is that process of death to ourselves so that that new life can take hold and blossom into an even more wonderful life, a life of abundance, even down here below. Obviously not at the same level of when we cross into eternity by the grace of mercy in God and we see him face to face and we get into heaven. But a new life... We don't live the same way anymore. As the Paul would say, we don't live like the pagans do anymore. And when he talks about dying to sin, he reminds us that this new life that we relive in Christ is a liberation. How many of these moments? Abraham was liberated from making the ultimate sacrifice of his son. The people of Israel were liberated from destruction and slavery at the hands of the Egyptians. He has liberated us from the fear of sin and death. And the way that we die to sin, the way that we let the old creature be crucified with its sins in Christ, is that we try to let that liberation take hold in our hearts. That new life that he brought, that's symbolized by this beautiful candle. And then on the Easter Vigil, each one of us is reminded that at one moment we were baptized, and those who are about to get baptized, don't worry, it's going to get really exciting. At one moment, they receive a lit candle, receive the light of Christ, because that new life spreads to all of us. And that new life inspires us to cast aside the fear, to cast aside all those futile passing things that we thought would satisfy us, and to come to him, that person that will satisfy our thirst, that will bring us wine and honey, expecting nothing in return. And it is always important to remember that this new life in Christ is a liberation. Because when we see it as an obligation, okay, when you look at the etymology of obligation, it's from being tied up, right? And how many people run that risk of living their Christian life that way? It's like, oh gosh, I got to do this because, all right church told me I got to do this, okay, the Ten Commandments and all this, this is a drag. Why does he want us to do all this? It's to break us free. And sometimes we don't even realize that we have chains. How many times did the Israelites grumble in the desert? At least would have died in Egypt with flesh pots at our sides. That they preferred 
to freedom and life itself to be slaves in Egypt with a full belly? And how many other ways do we try to fill up our belly with things that will not satisfy, that have strings attached? And those strings that attach are those webs and chains of sin that bind us over and over and over again. So as we continue this celebration of the Eucharist, grateful for our Lord's victory over sin and death, not just for him, but for us, and grateful for those he has invited to come and come into full communion, complete their Christian initiation, or receive the gift of baptism to become the people of God, become our brothers and sisters in a much deeper way. Let's ask him as well as we start this Easter season to come into our hearts and help break those chains, whether we put them there or somebody else put them there, to inject that new life into our hearts so that that Christian life can take hold of us and transform it to a life that we would have never imagined possible, aided by his grace. Dear friends, let us pray to Almighty God for our brothers and sisters, Eric and Elizabeth, who are asking for baptism. He has called them and brought them to this moment. May he grant them light and strength to follow Christ with resolute hearts and to profess the faith of the church. May he give them the new life of the Holy Spirit whom we are about to call down on this water. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Pray for us, St. Catherine of C. 
Vienna. Pray for us. Saint Teresa of Jesus. Pray for us. All holy men and women, saints of God. Pray for us. Lord, be merciful. Lord, give us grace through sacramental signs which tell us of the wonders of your unseen power in baptism we use your gift of water which you have made a rich symbol of the grace you give us in the sacrament at the very dawn of creation your spirit breathed on the waters making them the wellspring of holiness the waters of the great flood you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness through the waters of the Red Sea, you led Israel out of slavery to be an image of God's holy people, set free from sin by baptism. In the waters of the Jordan, your son was baptized by John and anointed with the Spirit. Your son willed that water and blood should flow from his side as he hung upon the cross. After his resurrection, he told his disciples, Go out and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, look now with love upon your church and unseal for it the fountain of baptism. By the power of the Holy Spirit, give to this water the grace of your Son, so that in the sacrament of baptism, all those whom have created, you have created in your likeness may be cleansed from sin and rise to new birth of innocence by water and the Holy Spirit. 